0: Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from the series Colossians, Jesus is Lord. For more information about forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. good morning. This um, past month we've studied the first two chapters of the book of Colossians and the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter basically to the church in Colossae, he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and he's made a theological case in the first two chapters for who Jesus is and we titled this series Jesus is Lord because that is what he has made the case for in the first two chapters is that Jesus is Lord over all. And now, today, as we begin chapter three there 's a transition in his writing, which is typical of paul and and we begin chapter three we 're learning a little bit different. Paul shifts from describing Jesus as Lord over all to the personal application of when we learn about Jesus being Lord, what it now means for Jesus to be Lord over me, not just over everything, but personally for me, how does that apply? And it's pretty typical of Paul's writings to basically start out his writing saying, this is what's true about God, and this is what you need to know about God. And then he will make that transition and say, now here's how that should look in your life. So if you would, I know you just sat down a minute ago, but if you would stand up, we're going to read from chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and as I read, I want you to think about how this personally applies to you, what we've learned about Jesus being Lord over the last couple of weeks. And Colossians 3, it's found on page 984 of the Bible under your chair, if you need that one. Um, If you need a Bible, feel free to take one of those with you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. It's also going to be on the screens. But starting in chapter 3, here's what Paul says. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Now... In verse 1, we see this transition take place I just mentioned. It says, if then, some translations will say, therefore, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And we've talked about how Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and His Holy Spirit now lives inside of Christians. He's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, which means if you've been place your faith in him. And as he was resurrected, your dead life is now resurrected. Then he's saying, seek the things that are above. If you have become a Christian, then he says you should seek out, set your eyes on, look to the things of God. Now, leadership experts have said that once you explain the why to those that you lead, and people understand the why, then the how is no longer really an obstacle. However, if you start with the how, hey, here's what we're gonna do, and here's how we're gonna do it, then most people don't respond because they don't understand the why. So once you understand the why of something and why something is important, then you don't really care how you have to get it done. And the why here is this, because you've been raised with Christ, meaning this, just like Jesus was raised from the dead, All believers in him will be raised from the dead as well. The Bible tells us that when Jesus returns the second time, when he comes back, he's going to raise all of those who have placed their faith in him. We will be raised, resurrected from the dead, and we will live forever in eternity with God. And last week we talked about how we are all dead in our sin. That when we're living in, in, in a sinful state, we are, in fact, dead. But through faith in Jesus, we're given this new life and we're made to live. So because of that miraculous resurrection that we can look forward to, we no longer are to look to the things of this world, but we're to look to the things of God. So very simply stated, our behavior is a result of our beliefs so if you truly believe that you will be resurrected from the dead when you when you die that you will be resurrected and you'll go to heaven then that should impact your behavior okay so our beliefs then impact our behavior. For example, as a small child growing up on a farm, there were several times when my dad was welding or cutting metal um, in, the, in the barn, and he would be taking things apart or putting things back together. And, and as a kid, and, and still as an adult, something there's just something that attracts you to when sparks are flying, when metal's being cut and there's sparks flying, and there's this white hot torch that's, that's burning things. You just want to look at it. And I remember as a kid that my dad told me, do not stare at the flames and the sparks flying, because if you do, it can burn the cornea is in your eyes and you could go blind so therefore because of that belief that if I look at when someone's welding the sparks then my behavior to this day is that I will look away that I won't look at it my belief that I could go blind determines my behavior in in looking away if I never learned the why I shouldn't look at those sparks I guarantee you I'd be staring at those every time I see them because there's something fascinating about that to me and listen In our daily life, there are sparks flying all around us that God's saying, you shouldn't be looking at those. You shouldn't be going there. Yes, it's attractive. Yes, you want to go there. It's trying to get your attention, but he's saying you've got to understand why you should not go there, why you should avoid that, because you could certainly get caught up in it, and if we're not careful, we get blinded to the truth. We get blinded to the reality of what God wants for us when we get caught up in the things of this world. So Paul uses this imagery in this passage of, of things that hinder us. And he's saying there's things that you're carrying around, things that you have on you that, that that are hindering you from living the way that I want you to live. And he's saying you've got to take some of those things off, put some of those things down. And Paul uses that imagery very well. And it made me think about um, the show The Biggest Loser. How I many in here, did you watch the show The Biggest Loser? Some show of hands, some of us watched it. With The Biggest Loser, it was the whole idea was that they, they took a group of people that had um, battled weight problems for most of their life, and they were extremely overweight. So the, the, the premise of the show was that they would learn new lifestyles. They would learn how to eat and exercise correctly, and they would do that on the show to lose weight um, and, and near the end of the show, the contestants that were left, the final contestants, they would have a challenge where they put on these weighted vests. So they would they would put on a vest, and they would add all these weights to them that that represented how they were when they started the show. So, you know, there might be 150 pounds of extra weight that a person put on in this vest because it represented that they had lost 150 pounds over the time that they'd been on this show. And what they would do is then they would have to run a race, and there would be markers along the race race representing each week, and and they would be running with like 150 pounds on them, and they would get to the first marker of the first week, and maybe they lost, you know, 17 pounds that week, and they would take off 17 pounds, and, and they would drop it, and then they would run to the next marker, and that marker might say that they lost seven pounds that week, so they would take off seven pounds and drop it, and towards the, as they got further along, they're shedding all this weight and taking it off, and you could just see, obviously physically, the weight coming off of them, and you could see emotionally the weight coming off of them as well, and you could see that they had they had emotionally been just just changed by this experience and they would drop off that weight and it was really moving to watch that because as they dropped those weights off of their vest and as they got to the last stretch where they all that weight was gone you just saw that there was this joy and this overwhelming emotion and this freedom that they had now listen we are all carrying around weight from our past Many of us have things that we need to shed and lay down. Maybe it was bad decisions. Maybe it was broken relationships. We have guilt. We have shame. We have sin that we're still carrying around with us. And Paul is saying, there are things from your past that you need to take off. There are things from your past that you need to lay down. And you see, when we place our faith in Jesus, he does this work in our hearts our belief in Jesus allows his Holy Spirit to come in and begin to change us from the inside out. And what that should do is that should change us externally as well. Our, our behavior begins to change as we lay down things from our past, as we put them behind us, and we say, that was the old me, but now there's a new me. So we should start taking off some of the weight that, that we've been carrying around, some of the things that have been weighing us down, because many of us walk around carrying stuff that we, that we don't have to. Just like those people in that, that show, you know, they had lost all that weight, and why would they carry around a vest that, that represented that? They, they wanted to get rid of it. And then Paul gets pretty specific here of some things that we as Christians need to get rid of. He starts listing some things that, hey, you need to put this down. You need to, get, you need to get, just get rid of that. That's part of the old you. That was the dead you. Now there's a new you. And, and when Jesus is truly Lord of our life, and we start removing those things, we, we start to have freedom and joy, and we begin to live this life that God has for us. So he says you start by removing some things, and the first thing that he talks about is you remove inappropriate thoughts. You know, I heard the saying that thought is action in rehearsal. Often we think through things, and we, we, we think on things, we dwell on things until it becomes an, an action in our life, and we act on it. And when you continue to dwell on something that you know is wrong and and you're rehearsing it in your mind and then that thought ends up becoming an action, that becomes a sin in our life. Whenever we know and we dwell on, we're, we're thinking on something we know goes against what God says, then it becomes a sin. Look at verses two and three. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he says, set your minds on things that are above. And that makes me think, that we should all ask this question, what do I think about? What do I dwell upon? When you have downtime, when you have idle time, when there's just a lot of time and there's nothing really else to do but think what comes to your mind. Is it things of this world? If it's things of this world, then you need to learn to put those things down. You see, most of us have probably heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? What you put into your mind is what will eventually come out of you. What you're filling your mind with will show by what comes out in your heart and and, and in your actions. So if we're putting lots of things in that are of this world... If we're watching you know, hours and hours of television, not that television's bad, but if that's all we're putting into our minds and we're exposed to violent movies and, and we, we listen to music that has a lot of profanity or it degrades women or we look at magazines or books or websites with sensual images a lot and, and bad language or if we're around um, places where there's just a lot of bad language, if we're looking at social media posts with inappropriate pictures or we're looking at social media all the time and we're just thinking about how everybody else's life looks amazing, if that's all we're doing, is putting worldly images and thoughts and words into our mind, all those things then start to be what we dwell our thoughts on. And and that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't dwell on those things, you dwell on the things of God. He's saying, you put more good things of God in your mind so that good things will come out. Randy Alcorn once wrote, immorality is the cumulative product of small mental indulgences and minute compromises. You see, immorality doesn't just happen in our life, it's, it's accumulation of all these little things that we allow in, these little things that we allow in our mind and in our heart and these things that we're exposing ourselves to, what you consistently dwell on in your thought life will affect your behavior. This is, this is biblical, it's what God's telling us. So God says you concentrate your mind, you concentrate your heart, you concentrate your eyes on things that are above, and that's a challenge for us because we live in this world so how do we live in this world but not be of this world how do we do that well, very practically the way the bible tells us is you memorize scripture get scripture into your mind and into your heart listen regularly to to worship music so that so there's uh, there's good influences going into your mind into your heart read christian articles christian blogs christian books and then spend time praying pray some more and then pray some more. The Bible says pray continually. And if you think about what prayer is, prayer is having conversation with the creator of the universe. It's spending time with God Almighty. We, because of Jesus, because he lives at God's right hand, and he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of believers, we have this access to God 24-7, the creator of the universe, the one who knit you together. You get to speak to him. Yet we tend to not do that and we allow idle time to let our mind dwell on on things of this world. You know, I've found that, and what I've learned uh, is that I use my downtime to pray Because I found out over time that what I would do during downtime, like when I'm riding in a car, or when I'm mowing the grass, or or I like to run a lot, so when I'm on a long run, my thoughts would begin to dwell on things of this world. My thoughts, all I have to do is just me to think while I'm running, or mowing, or or riding in a car by myself, so my my thoughts would, would wander, and I would think on things that I shouldn't think on, and when that happens, I could notice that my mood might change a little bit, or I can get stressed out because I'm thinking about worldly things, or I can start to worry because I'm thinking on this world and not on God's promises, and then I can get frustrated easily. So what happened is I learned that, you know what, I need to use that time talking to the God of of the universe, talking to my Savior. I need to spend that time thinking on Holy Scripture that I have memorized and let that come to mind. And it's amazing how when I take my idle time and I think on God and I think on things above, it completely changes my... my, um, My outlook on life. The frustrations seem to go away. The stresses and the fears go away because I'm looking on God and not on the things of this world. So he says, first of all, you set your mind on the things of God. Then Paul says, once your mind is in the right place, once you're focusing on God, once you're looking to him in all things, then you need to start to get rid of immoral actions. In verse five, he says, put to death, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he says, you put those things to death. Those things that are earthly, you've got to kill them off. And I want you to notice that this is an action. It doesn't just happen as a natural result of faith. We place our faith in Jesus, and then all that stuff just goes away. This whole section, verses 1 through 17, is filled with action words. I circled them in my Bible. I always like to do those. I circle, I write in my Bible so that I remember things. And in here, I wrote in the column action words. And I circled it says, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on, put to death put off the old self, put on the new self, be renewed, put on, put on, do, do everything see all the action that's in there there are things that we have to do we have to take action in order to grow as Christians in order to look more like Jesus it's an action that we have to do in our life now God does supernaturally kill certain desires in us by the power of his Holy Spirit he is he is the one that helps us overcome sin he's the one that does that for us it's his spirit that draws us to him God is what empowers us God is who saves us and makes us new it's not by our works it's all God and His power. However, we have a role to play in our walk as Christians as well. We have this moment by moment free will to choose the things of this world or to choose the things of God. We have this moment by moment free will to set our thoughts on the things of God or to think about the things of this world. We have this moment by moment free will to choose what we view on our phone. We have this moment by moment free will to choose where we go, what we do, how we react, how we respond, who we associate with. So you see, we have a role to play in this. So Paul says you choose to put these things to death. And he, he, he does not say just lay them aside. He doesn't say just put them behind you. He says kill them. You've got to kill them. There's an old Puritan saying that's called the mortification of sin. It's, it's you know, Jesus died for all sin, but we, in our flesh, and in our, as we live here, we are to kill that sin. We are to kill that off and put our old life behind us. And then he names some and he says, sexual immorality. Now, this is any form of sexual sin. It's not, uh, it, it's the root word that we get pornography from. So he's saying, you've got to kill that, you've got to get rid of that. Maybe you were exposed to pornography as a kid or as a teenager and you've just wrestled with that all of your life and it's something that you still are tempted with. He's saying you've got to kill that. You've got to put it behind you. You've got to do what it takes to get rid of it. You've got to put, you gotta put um, software on your phone and on your computer and put guardrails up and get all those things in place so that it's gone. You can't just hide it. You've got to kill it. He's saying you've got to do what it takes to put sexual immorality behind you because it's all around us and it's temptations all the time. So he's saying you've got to kill that. You've got to live a new life, not that old life. And then he says impurity. And this is the word in the Greek that goes beyond sexual acts of sin to include thoughts and intentions. And he's, he's getting to the root of it, right? He's saying, yeah, maybe you've been tempted by pornography, but guess what? Not just acting out on that is the problem. It's that You've got to get down to the root of it. And there's impurity in your heart and in your mind because your thoughts start to go there. And when your thoughts start to go there, he says, what you got to do is you got to kill it. You got to think on the things of God, the things that God wants you to have, the things that are pure and lovely and righteous and true. And you got to take those thoughts captive and you've got to kill them. And he says, passions and evil desires. And these are similar terms that refer to sexual lust. Passion is the physical aspect of it. Evil desires is the mental aspect of it. So again, he's getting down to the root that mentally you start to think on things that you shouldn't think on. And he's saying, you've got to kill that. You've got to put that behind you. And you've got to um, put on the new life. And then he goes to covetousness. Coveting is the insatiable desire to have more especially um, things that are forbidden and we desire more is to say, I see that, it's not mine, but I want that. And that's what it means to covet. And he's saying, you've got to put that behind you as well. You've got to put that to death. You've got to get rid of it, put it down. So Paul is categorizing all of these things and he's saying, when you get caught up in these sins, what you are doing is you're chasing after your own fleshly desires. And, and then in essence, you're putting yourself before God and he says, that is idolatry. We probably never think of it that way. When we struggle with the the desires of the flesh, what we're doing is we're idolizing those things and we're idolizing ourselves because we're putting our needs, our pleasure, our want, our desires before God's desires and before honoring him and glorifying him. So it's idolatry. And he says, idolatry brings the wrath of God. Verse six, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So what he's saying is these sinful desires, these sins in our life, these things that that we've had in our old life, they deserve the wrath of God. So he's reminding us this is why you need Jesus. You have to have Jesus because he came, lived the perfect life as an example for us. He was the sacrifice for our sin. When we place our faith in him, we are freed from the wrath of God. Therefore, we should respond to that by living like Christ. So on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. James 1, 14 through 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we're tempted by our own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So you see, we start to have these thoughts in our minds. And when we begin to entertain those thoughts and we dwell on those thoughts, then we take action on those thoughts. And that's where sin is. So he's getting to the root of it. He says it's not just your actions. You can't just try to put those off. You've got to get down to the root of it in your thoughts and your heart and your thought life and where you are so that it doesn't become that sin which brings death. So Paul's hammering home the need to put those things to death. He's hammering home so that we put those to death and, and they don't put us to death. Then he continues with something else to get rid of. In verse 8 he says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus got angry on several occasions. So when he says put away anger, what does he mean by that? Well, in both times when we see in the Bible that Jesus got angry, it was not this outburst that was uncontrollable. It wasn't just him just, you know, seeing something and then just absolutely losing his temper. He, he got angry over the temple being abused by dishonesty, by false worship, by greed. So things that went against God angered him. So anger is not the sin it's how we respond to that anger, what we do with that anger. In Ephesians 5:26, Paul said this. He said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So there are some appropriate times to get angry over things, but make sure you respond in a God-honoring way is what he's saying. So it's okay to be angry, but be angry over the right things and then respond appropriately. In verse 8, he kind of gives us a progression. He says, anger and then wrath. The word used for anger is described as a smoldering, like, like hot coals that are just smoldering. That's kind of what anger is, you know, and then we get anger, we start to smolder a little bit, right? Well, wrath is the picture of those coals that are smoldering, igniting and bursting into flames. And isn't that what happens, you know, when we start to get angry, but we focus on the things of the flesh, and then we just erupt and burst into flames. He's saying, don't do that. He's saying that is sinful anger. But if you have this smoldering inside of you because you see something that goes against what God desires and it's smoldering inside of you and you're angry about it and then you do something in the right way to respond to that anger, to help, to, to serve, to, to help those that are being, um, being um, wronged, You see, that's what he's saying is don't sin in that anger. And then he mentions slander and obscene talk. And what happens when we start to get angry over something and then we erupt? Most often, we go to slander and obscene talk. You see it happen all the time and people that lose their anger really quickly, they lose their temper, then slander and obscene talk follows. He's saying don't go there. You You got to be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And in verse nine, he continues with more description of that. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So again and again, Paul's reminding the believer in Jesus this. He's saying, now that you have Jesus living inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you because you placed your faith in Jesus. Because you have the Spirit living inside of you, you should look different. And he's saying, don't live like you're dead. Don't live like you're still dead because you've been given this gift of life. And he's saying here that obscene talk and lying to one another and losing your temper. He's saying, that may have been the old you. He's saying, you put that down, you kill that, and you walk away from that. And you begin to speak truth because you now know the truth and you have the truth living inside of you. You see, Christians should have the reputation of being the most honest, the most trustworthy, and the most loving, truth-telling people in the world. That's what Christians should be known for. But obviously, at that time, because Paul's writing it in this letter, the church was having trouble with that. People were having trouble with living that way and putting their old self to death, and we have the same thing today. So we've got to look at this and say, okay, what can I work on in my life? How do I apply this to my life? How do I put those things behind me and begin to walk as this new creation that, that God has created in me? And we have to ask, is Jesus really the Lord of my life? Because you see, the reality is it's, it's, it's possible for us to claim Jesus as our Savior, but then not have life change because you haven't allowed him to be Lord. And again, I talked about that last week, how a lot of us, we want salvation. We want to live for eternity in heaven, but we don't necessarily want it to change the way we live right now. We don't necessarily want Jesus to be Lord over everything and to change how we, how we live and how we act and how we respond and what we're doing. Because sometimes we just get a little more comfortable in our sin and in in the way that we're living. So how do we then allow Jesus to be Lord? I think verse 10 gives us a glimpse into that. As Paul says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we become this new creation by faith in Jesus and he supernaturally rescues us from our sin. We are saved. We have the assurance of our salvation. Now what we have to do is put on this new self and be renewed. So again, it's that action. He's saying, put it on. Put on this new self that's being renewed in knowledge. So in knowledge of what? Of Jesus, our savior. So then we can respond by looking like Jesus. Now here's a spiritual truth. Without knowledge of Jesus, it's impossible to look like him. How do we begin to look like Jesus if we don't know what he looks like? How do we begin to react like Jesus if we don't know how he would react? How do we begin to love like Jesus if we don't know how Jesus loved others? So through the studying of the word of God, the Bible, that's how we begin to learn about Jesus. And we get renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. So it's through the study of the word of God. Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching us. So we read scripture to be taught. For reproof, sometimes we need reproof in our life. For correction, sometimes we have wrong thinking about God and about, about how this life is supposed to work. So the Bible corrects us in that. And for training us in righteousness. So the Bible is useful for training us to, to look more like Jesus. That the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. You see, it's God's plan for every Christian to look like Jesus. And you look more like Jesus when you apply his word to your life and you begin to live according to it. And that's the one thing that can unify a world that that has so many differences in it. You see, the world this side of heaven, it's always gonna have divisions. The world this side of heaven, we're always gonna have differences, but there's one thing that can unify us among those differences that we have, and that is Christ in us. In verse 11, he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So what he does is he points out, hey, there's a lot of us that are different. There's Greek, there's Jews, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but guess what? When we become Christians, Christ is in us and he unifies us. Jesus is the equalizer in a world that is not equal. And he modeled a way for us as Christians to live that when we follow him, some may not understand it, we may even get ridiculed, but our new life will bring glory to God. And to do that, we have to take our old self off. We have to put it to death and put those old ways down. And then he says you've got to put some new things on. You think back to the show The Biggest Loser. If those people that competed to win that show and they lost all that weight, but they didn't change their lifestyles, then they would simply gain the weight back. And they would look like they did before they came on the show. And that is what happened to some of the people. Some of the people gained all their weight back from from what they had lost. And the ones that have kept the weight off, though, made major changes. They put their old way of living to death. They put on new habits. They put on a new lifestyle. Well, The same is true of us in our spiritual life. If you become a Christian and then you keep the same old habits from before you were a Christian, you're going to find yourself falling back into your old ways, you're going to find yourself looking like you did before you ever became a Christian. So you have to replace the old habits with new habits, the wrong habits with right habits. You have to replace poor discipline with good discipline. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus told a story about this, and he told a story about a a man who was possessed by a demon, and the demon left the man But the man left his life empty. He didn't fill that where that demon had been. He didn't fill that with good things of God. So he put nothing in its place. So what happened? Well, the Bible says the demon returned with seven other spirits worse than when he had first left. And you see, that's why we need to make certain that we're filling our lives with the things of God. So we become a Christian. We put our old ways down. We kill them. And then we've got to fill ourselves up with something new. So he begins to give us a list of here's the new things you start to put on. He says, put on then God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So you put on compassionate hearts. You put on kindness and humility and meekness and patience. You bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, you forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. So he says, you put all those old things down. And now as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you start to put on compassionate hearts you know, one of the ways that we can show compassion for others is simply to pray for others. When, when people ask you to pray for them, do you, do you pray for them there on the spot? Or do you usually say, well, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then maybe you forget about it later. But when we're truly compassionate, we have compassionate hearts, we listen to the need, we show compassion and concern, and then pray right then and there. One of the best ways you can show compassion, kindness is displayed when we serve others. So we show compassion by listening and understanding and praying with them. And then we show kindness. And as a church, you all show great kindness when we flooded Hope Southern Indiana with food items during the spring drive. That's showing kindness. People... Um, people during that spring food drive needed food, so we we flooded Hope Southern Indiana with food. That's kindness. You displayed kindness in the pack the bus um, drive that we just provided school supplies for kids at Hazelwood Middle School. You show kindness extended to our community when we have VBS in the park, when we do the fall fair, when we have the big Christmas party, and we're providing things for people in our community. Just Friday the developed New Albany organization had a block party and they asked to use our parking lot. So we, um, we let them use our parking lot and we set up a, a stand and gave out snow cones and there was free food and, and that's showing kindness to those in need. The Friday before that, we had our mobile dental clinic here to show kindness to those who don't have insurance and they could get dental care. Those are just small examples of how we as a church can show kindness to others because of what Christ has done for us. So we have to ask ourselves, How can I as an individual show kindness to others in my life? How can I as an individual begin to show compassion and kindness and people see a difference in me because the old me is dead and the new me is now compassionate and kind? And then he says humility and meekness and patience should be what we're showing as well. So ask ourselves, are we putting others first? Do we think highly of others and meet the needs of others before we meet our own? Are we showing compassion to others? You see, that's the new life that he wants us to have on display. And then he says, you do all that with a forgiving heart. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And now this is a tough one for us to swallow. Forgiveness is a hard one for us to give. Forgiveness is a battle and it can, it can be difficult for us because some of us have been really hurt by people. Maybe you're wounded by a close friend. Maybe it was a spouse that hurt you. Maybe it was your employer that hurt you. And our reaction typically is, I want to get even, right? When we get hurt, we want to get even. We want to get them back. We want that person to hurt the way that they hurt us. But God says, you know what? You give them forgiveness just the same way that I've forgiven you. You see, God forgave us when we didn't deserve it. Before we even asked for it, before we even knew that we needed forgiveness, he sent Jesus for us to offer us forgiveness. And he says, you do the same for those that have hurt you. I want to give you a little history of the one who brought this letter that we're reading, Colossians. He brought this, it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, and it's kind of a neat story to understand the, the context of this letter and how it was written and who it was delivered by. See, there's this rich guy in the town of Colossae named Philemon, and Philemon apparently had a big house because we know that the church met in Philemon's house, and Philemon was also a slave owner, and he had a slave by the name of Onesimus, and Onesimus, he ran away, and when Onesimus ran away, he went to Rome because that was a a good place to hide and try to blend in and, and get away and have no one find him, so when he ran away from Philemon, he stole some of Philemon's belongings, and he runs away to Rome when he gets to Rome, guess who he meets? The Apostle Paul. And when you meet the Apostle Paul, you also meet Jesus. Because the Apostle Paul was living and breathing and speaking everything about Jesus. So through Paul's teaching, Onesimus, the runaway slave, became a Christian. And what did Paul tell Onesimus to do? He said, you know what you need to do? You need to go back to Colossae. You need to apologize to your slave owner, to Philemon. You need to apologize to him for running away and for stealing stuff from him. And when you go back, you need to make things right with him. And as you go back, I want you to take this letter to the church in Colossae. And that's the letter we're reading right now. So Paul sends the letter to the church at Colossae, back with this runaway slave, and and Philemon, or or Onesimus, as he comes back to Philemon, he gives him this letter, and imagine the the scene that very next week, as, as the congregation gathers together in Philemon's house, and they begin to read this letter from Paul, and then he comes to this verse where he says, if one is a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. Don't you think everyone in that small church probably was looking at Onesimus and Philemon because they recognized, wow, here's two guys. You know, Onesimus had hurt Philemon and run away from him and he had stolen stuff from him and, and now we're seeing forgiveness because they're both brothers in Christ now. And that's the context. And today as we read that verse, we need to ask ourselves, who is the person I need to forgive as Christ forgave me? They might be sitting in this very room with you, just like Onesimus and Philemon were. Maybe some of you need to forgive somebody that's sitting near you. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Is there somebody that you need to contact and let them know that you forgive them for hurting you in the past? And maybe there's somebody you need to contact and say, hey, what you did, it hurt me. And I've been pretty frustrated and angry, and I had not forgiven you. But you know what? I'm a Christian. Christ forgave me. He forgave me of everything and I didn't deserve it. And you haven't asked me for forgiveness, but I just want you to know that I forgive you and I'm moving on beyond that. Imagine what that could do in that person's life by showing them what a Christian looks, lives, loves, and forgives like. Listen, God offered you forgiveness before you ever asked for it, before you ever knew that you needed it. So who do you need to offer that same kind of forgiveness to? There's nothing more freeing for us than to to forgive as the Lord forgave us. And as you do that, then you learn to truly put on love. In verse 14, he says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And when we begin to do these things that Paul's talking about here, we begin to learn how to really truly love and how to live in harmony. Because you see, love is not a feeling. It's not something that we do just to those people who are kind to us. True, unconditional love is for those who don't even deserve it. It's showing compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience to those that we might find hard to love. When we truly love people, then we look like Jesus. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's love, that's the qualifier. And if Jesus truly is Lord over all, and Jesus truly is Lord over me, then that belief should affect what I lay down and what I pick up. What I put off and what I put on. You know, we've had some friends over the years that gave us kind of hand-me-down clothes that our kids could wear. And and we've done the same by then passing clothes along to other friends that their, their younger kids could wear those clothes. And over time, we've seen pictures of other families and our kids have been able to say, hey, I remember that shirt. That was one of my favorite shirts and they're wearing my clothes. Look at that. Do you know that it pleases Jesus to look at us and to be able to say, look at them. They're wearing my clothes. You see, the Bible talks about how God is calling us to put down the old filthy rags, to put down our old life, to take off the clothes of sin that we've had and to put on the robe of righteousness. And Jesus offers that to us when we place our faith in him and we begin to live according to his way. You can do that today by placing your faith in Jesus and deciding to make him Lord of your life, by choosing to follow him. You can be clothed in his righteousness. You see, we can tend to have a lot of our old life weighing us down. And Paul says, put that stuff to death. Throw it off, put it behind you. And you put on this new life in Christ with Jesus as Lord over everything that you do. You see, many of our our pasts, they're soiled by sexual sin. Many of us have a past that's contaminated by covetousness. Many of our pasts are defiled by dishonesty. Maybe your past is corrupted with conceit. Today, Jesus says, it's time for you to put on a new life time for you to put that stuff down and if we go back to verse four of this passage i skipped over it earlier on purpose because i wanted to finish up with it but i love how paul says this i circled it in my bible he says christ who is your life he says when christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory when you place your faith in jesus christ as lord and savior he becomes your life So the question today to close out with, is Christ your life? If he's not, if he's not the reason you live and breathe because he rescued you from your sin, then he can become your life today. Maybe some of you today need to make Christ your life. We're gonna open up the altar in just a minute and you can come forward and just bow at the altar and just pray and say, God, I want Christ to be my life. I wanna accept the salvation you offer me through faith in Jesus. Jesus. And you can begin walking in that new life, putting your old self down, leaving it here at the altar. Some of you, maybe you've been Christians for a while and, and you've been living with Jesus as Savior, but you haven't allowed him to really be Lord and you need to come today and just bow at the altar and say, God, I need you to be Lord over everything. I want you to be Lord over all that I am. Maybe some of you are carrying around sin that God has freed you from. Maybe you just need to come to the altar today and say, God, I'm laying it here, I'm killing it. I want it behind me. I want your spirit living inside of me to empower me to walk out of here new and fresh today, living according to your word and putting on the things that you desire me to put on. We're going to do that as I pray and then as we worship. The altar's open, and I know there's many of us in this room that probably need to lay some things down. I hope you'll come forward and take that time, and we'll celebrate and we'll pray with you. Let's pray. God, you are good. Your word is true. God, we believe that every word in this book is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And God, there's power in the preaching of your word. And God, I know that there are people in this room today that need to say for the first time, I want Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. God, I pray you would give them the boldness to come and just bow at the altar and to receive salvation through Jesus. God, others of us in this room, we've been walking, carrying weights around that we don't need to carry. Been carrying shame and guilt around, and we need to just lay that down. Because you have saved us and rescued us to walk in freedom. So, God, as we worship you, we just come now before you and we lay things down. And we say we don't want those to be a part of our life anymore. And as we do that, we put on new things. We're going to put on the things of Christ. We're going to set our eyes on you your greatness, your glory, and your majesty. We're going to ask you to strengthen us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in this new life, free from our past, with our eyes fixed on the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that one day you'll resurrect us into eternal life as well. So God, as we worship you, We ask you to do a mighty work. Let your spirit move. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in the series, Colossians, Jesus is Lord. For more information about forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.